Hello and welcome to the Psychomedia podcast. Player one has pressed start and has selected the character, Timothy Swan. Player two has pressed start and has selected the character, Ben Fell. Yes, this week, again, we're talking about video games and psychology and stuff. Yes, I can't even think of the date when we prepared and planned this episode. It's amazing how... uh, Well, you planned and prepared this episode, (laughs) Tim. I did a podcast on video games and it was okay. (laughs) It got a lot of good feedback. Oh, as good. far as I'm aware, you came across all like professional and good. Ha 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 ha. Oh well. So clearly, um, we know the factor that makes this show chaotic <laughs> and rambling. <laughs> no, it's is... an interaction effect. It's definitely an interaction effect. It's yeah. a, Tim, a Tim environment interaction. You know, I'm much better at video games when I'm not playing with you. When I'm playing <laughs> with you, I end up killing you a lot. Likewise, I'm sure. It's really <laughs> difficult to... Like, I cannot concentrate. This is... You know, the, the the messed up bit that we did before this podcast that's going to go in a Franken podcast w- went homoerotic remarti- remarkably quickly, and so is this. We should move on. Yeah, not to not what we're supposed to be talking about in 60 seconds. <laughs> not to Brokeback Mountain in, in less than 20 seconds. It's amazing. Yeah, it'd be great if there was a really non-homoerotic movie called Nought. That would really work really well. We should make that. I'm not sure we're capable of making it. I don't think so. Anyway... Uh, yes. yes. Do you want me this... to do some feedback, maybe? Because that's how the show starts. It's a real yeah. episode. Episode 19. Genuine oh number. It's Is a... it 19? Is it actually 19? I it's actually it was... 19. You know, okay. we actually promised to do like special things for episode 20 as if it was going to be like the next week. No one's <laughs> going to remember what those things are. Which is good. Anyway, yes. yes. Episode 19. Do some feedback. Okay, so uh, last week your back feeds. Uh, I gave a call out to uh, If It Moves Critique It by Alex Colgan. Uh ross and charlotte not ross and emily because that is the couple from friends i'm an idiot and so if uh, charlotte ever listens to that she's going to hate me which is a shame because she's a good podcaster and i listened to that show and i did sit there thinking we really need a woman on this podcast sometime because she's a great female podcaster and you don't get as many of them it seems maybe it's just so. shows i listen to and i'm a massive Probably. sexist anyway alex messaged me and was like oh I, I wasn't asking for plugage i was kind of asking for constructive feedback but he was thankful uh so yeah go you know uh pl- listen to the show and give him constructive feedback because i i'm not good at constructive feedback um <laughs> and I unless your name yet. is milan mataker in which case i'm great at it and i will <laughs> give you constructive feedback sometime uh, yeah go to alex underscore colgan on last fm Sorry, I, I, I communicate with people via podcasts now rather than email. Did <laughs> I not Twitter. mention that? You've got so far beyond like direct interaction. <laughs> yeah, this seriously, this show is just like a list of people I need to contact. Um, so <laughs> I really could do that. I know enough of the listeners. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, I maybe will give you some feedback, uh, constructive feedback, seriously, um, except to say that the show was good. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was interesting and it was well-structured and all the people on it were good. So cool. Uh I got a message from the person I keep giving her name and she keeps asking me not to. Sorry. Um, and saying that her psychology teacher, because she's doing psychology at the moment, I think I told her to do that. I forget whether I did and then she did or I did and then she didn't and then she did. I forget. I tell her to do all sorts of stuff and then she's like, why are you trying to conduct my life? Um, <laughs> I assume everyone younger than me is just pliable into my image. As soon as they show me kind of any level of respect or interest, I'm just like, finally, a protege. <laughs> Rise, you're like the most Lord needy, You're like the most needy Sith Lord. <laughs> just really clingy. Wow. To be that, honest. That's one and a half minutes to start. <laughs> I, I, will, I will have to ask the serious question. Maybe I can do a poll. Now I know how to do polls on WordPress. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, Sidious, presumably the most needy Sith Lord, given that he had at least three apprentices. Yes. Uh, or maybe just careless, clumsy. <laughs> um, Murderous. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, sensible, preemptive, all of these adjectives and more. Yes. Well, apparently, uh, yeah, the, her psychology teacher is a French teacher who only does psychology because she once took a sexual psychology course in university. And I have to say, the Sorbonne is a brilliant place. But I mean, uh, you, you like, you, you try and avoid stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes they just run up to you and bite you in the face. That's not a French stereotype. stereotype. That's a German stereotype. Are angry badgers. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, and so apparently she spends her time in the classes, supposedly working on the modules, whilst actually listening to Psychomedia. <laughs> well, that's great. This so, is like... uh, if you do well on your exams, we're selling this as a genuine teaching aid for the Canadian psychology course. <laughs> 
Uh, and then... Um... Oh, the studies is from Canada this week. Oh, cool. We probably won't get to it, so never mind. Maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Um... And then one, got a thing from Kihar. He said that uh, not only do we have like descendant and antecedent podcasts, I have sibling podcasts because I'm on the Geek Syndicate Network, and that's a lot of siblings to have. Big family there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there was an episode where you were explaining why you found something boring, possibly statistics, and apparently you were really fascinating, which was ironic, but well oh. done. Well, thank you. I, and, I, that's that's a lovely thing to say about anybody. And finally, he sent in his suggestion for uh, people who should play... Um, Holly Golightly, he said Jennifer Love Hewitt played Audrey Hepburn in a film, so she's already got experience. And if we mm. go to the vote page, uh, we've had three votes. Two <laughs> votes saying Zoe Deschanel should play Holly Golightly. One vote for Mecca Audrey Hepburn, <laughs> uh, which I put in because you have to have two options. No one has voted with other as their, and their own suggestion. Well, he's not very good. <laughs> And then uh, on our uh, other poll, the which combination of Holmes and Watson do we most resemble? It's a tie break. We nearly really need someone to go to episode 18.999 recurring and uh, break this dead heat. Uh, one vote each for Cumberbatch and Freeman, uh, the um, mm. main Stephen Moffat choice. Uh, one vote for Cumberbatch and Law. So, uh, oh, I would like to see that. And one vote for Downey Jr. and Freeman. I would also like to see that. Um Actually, that that raises an interesting point of the fact that possibly the reason that no one's responding to these polls is because no one is up to speed with the podcast or that nobody's listening. But I'm going to take the first option, um, which actually ties into another piece of feedback, which I actually read this week, um, which was from one of our old friends who is also listening to the podcast, who was saying that she's really enjoying it. But she's uh, only at like episode eight or something through no fault of ours, apparently, like her I pod exploded or oh, like, right. refused to work usually or it's our fault for joined a convent many, or something it's usually our fault for recording too many too long episodes well yeah this is true although this week i have been listening to the giant bomb podcast which is a really great video games one but it oh, is yes, like well over three hours long and Ooh. i haven't yet managed to finish one um but anyway, uh, so she she was saying about this uh, only being up to episode eight, which got me thinking. I actually really like the idea of m- the majority of people listening to this podcast being like at least ten episodes behind, because it it gives that wonderful sense of like being from the past. Like when people actually listen to this, just think what they'll know, what new things will have been discovered, what exciting things will have happened. Yeah, that that is an optimistic way of looking at it. Hmm. Um, yeah, we're speaking from the deep recesses of the past. What can we tell them about that will make them feel nostalgic? Well, by the time they're listening to this, I might be in the Guild Wars 2 beta, which would be amazing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> from from really like deep and meaningful and philosophical to, you know, self-serving and nerdy. We still have Andrew Lansley as a health secretary. I can't think of anything. No, yeah. I mean, it's only like... Actually, I mean, 10 podcasts is like 10 weeks. That's like two and a half months. That's yeah. quite a long time. It is. What's going to happen? In t- like, by the time some people are listening to this, I may have been to Gloucestershire, Korea, and Jersey. <laughs> They're all basically the same, right? Well, this was the joke that was the obvious joke that was made. Uh, I'm like, I'm feeling really trepidatious about going to like a, a backwards country right on the border with an oppressive regime that no one's ever been in or out of for years, i.e., Guernsey. <laughs> I really thought you were going to go for the Gloucestershire and then like say that Worcestershire was that uh, thing but no I one know knows no one knows <laughs> exactly if the only like I spent weeks at university saying oh yes I'm from Worcester and everyone saying like the sauce and I was like die <laughs> drown in all of the Worcestershire sauce <laughs> the trouble is my parents used to live by the factory it's really hard to avoid association with it being like our only thing is your only thing right that's all the feedback let's go to the next section oh well there was one other thing which was um, one more thing yes one more thing uh do you actually know what that means what that's from no i have no no one ever knows i rarely do oh wait no it's tv reference you've got an excuse but i say it to people who were the same age as me and watch the same sort of tv shows as me no one ever seemed to watch the jackie chan adventures and i have no idea why i think i might have seen that at one point it's like where he was animated yeah um and I'm pretty I mean, he's sure he's quite animated. He but... appears in the title sequence, but he doesn't play his own voice. Huh. That's which really is weird. weird. Um, but anyway. Yeah, the, imagines, uh... Uh, that, but his uncle would always say all of these things to Jackie, telling him off. And then he'd be like, one more thing. <laughs> and then would like hit him around the head or something. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, the, one, the one final backfeeding was um, from my girlfriend who pointed out that she'd, she's been watching House 
and catching up with it. And apparently in one episode, Hugh Laurie uses the term what the Freud. And this means that he listens to Psychomedia. Uh, well, yes. Or <laughs> the script writers do. I'd accept that. <laughs> Either putting, is good. Putting words into Hugh Laurie's mouth. <laughs> I wish I was a famous writer. <laughs> Anyway, shall we move on to things what we have done this week and stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, have you done... Well, I've done lots this week and you don't apparently haven't done anything. Uh, I've done... Well, I, I've, I've, I've mostly worked. I did one thing. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's another one where I'm like, I don't know why I'm talking about this. I was scouring my kind of memory for funny things I've done this week. And I couldn't really Am I not uh, think of... <laughs> <laughs> They're just well, things. My... Yeah. Well, okay. So about... Two years ago, uh, there was an This article. week, Tim, this week. It's a long story. It's a long I have week. To justify myself. Um, about two years ago, there was an article in The Guardian about the newest form of online dating. <laughs> and what it was, was it was a website that combined something like Last FM, one of those music taste websites, God. with a dating website. And I was like, that is the weirdest thing ever. I'm going to join it because I bet that there is one or two people out there at all who show any matches with me. Um, I wasn't really doing it to find dates. I was just doing it because I thought it would be funny to, I don't know, I guess. Get someone's see. hopes up and then crush them with the fact that you were doing this as an experiment. Well, no, I mean, if, I, if someone genuinely got their hopes up, I'm, I'm not so callous to crush them slash... <laughs> There's a phrase that involves beggars and choosing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, point is, I got my first reply to a thing. That's amazing. Today, who is it from? Well, um, a French girl who likes post rock. I, um, I must is... be from the Midlands. <laughs> I probably shouldn't identify her, but this is uh... all quite promising. I mean, there's not. Yeah. I'm, I'm not hearing. I'm not hearing psychopathic killer just yet. <laughs> Yeah, we already insulted the French this episode. Man, I am an idiot. <laughs> I anyway, insulted the French, Tim. You still have time to withdraw from that. Yeah, I insulted the Germans. That's going to get me right, you know, kind of alongside her on that front. Um, anyway, front, Maginot line. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Don't I'm mention awful, the wall. Awful anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, her question on, you know, you can put on a question on her page was, do you like fish sticks? Can you guess what hilarious answer I wrote to this? No, but I, I can't wait to hear it. My answer was no, but I like sticky fishes. Oh. Uh, so, oh. And I got a reply to this. Really? Uh, which was just the OO eyes of confusion, stunment. Stu stunment that's not a word. Yeah, being stunned or being weirded out. I know that she is currently on a podcast with her friend, her, her female uh, friend who likes um, post rock too, but also quite a lot of more like heavy metal stuff, who's also ginger. Um, and. Uh, he's just, uh, she's just been like, well, he's definitely a serial killer. I don't think I mentioned, actually, my love for the composer of the music from Dexter probably is on there quite high. Smooth. Damn. Real smooth. <laughs> I've really got to think about censoring things. It's like that, although maybe it work, it'll work like that episode of the IT crowd where they post on a dating website, um, like, <laughs> I'm going to murder you, and then it works really well. Yes, I remember that one. Bad, that is bad, a good episode. Bad guy image. Anyway, things that I have done this week, which are marginally <laughs> yeah. less creepy. Uh, although hey, I've got to keep up my persona. Not by much. Uh, so a film I watched this week, Battle Royale. The uh, I think it's Japanese, or maybe it's Chinese. Yes, I believe it is yeah, Japanese. Japanese it, it, that figures, um, given the content. Film about, uh, with the extremely really improbable prom premise that in like a few years' time... Uh, juvenile delinquency levels will have got so high in Japan that the government passes a law which states that each year one high school class is sent to an island and has to kill each other um, or they all like have their heads exploded um, makes little logical sense but it was it was interesting very very kind of sort of grindhousey cultish type film it was, it was alright it was interesting pretty violent pretty low budget Lots of people, like, running around and doing horrible things to each other. You know, fairly standard. Anyway, uh, so that was that. Uh, on to more interesting things. Uh, so it was Pancake Day this week, which is probably, like, one of the best days in the year because pancakes are amazing. 
Um, and uh, having got an, a, a message from my mum the previous day saying, Ben, it's pancake day tomorrow. You better make pancakes. Um, I did. So thanks, mum. Uh, and <clears throat> as always, demonstrated my leet flipping skills to all who were prepared to watch them, i.e. my girlfriend, who also has some pretty leet flipping flipping skills, um, it turns out. Um, I'm going to choose to take that as some kind of euphemism. I actually I, successfully you, flipped a pancake this year. You did? I think intentionally? I, did. I, I cooked two pancakes, I flipped one successfully and one mostly successfully, which is pretty good because I did terribly last year, it's I remember. Usually, it folded usually them over. catastrophically awfully. Like They curl up into the fetal position <laughs> as if I've like hit them. <laughs> <laughs> you're a pancake batterer <laughs> oh, I think we have our episode title <laughs> oh dear the salt and battery anyway um you don't want to put salt in a pancake um so uh, did you I, I i was wondering did you give, give up anything for lent no i've never really given up anything for lent because i don't really have like without wanting to sound egotistical i don't really have that many obvious and easy to give up vices <laughs> You could give up you know, egotism. <laughs> yeah, ben, become but, like a uh, husk. But this is the thing: is right, you know, the original Lent, Jesus goes out into the desert and he lives for forty days without food or water. Um, and most normal people would die if they did that. <laughs> and in a similar way, if I give up egotism for Lent, <laughs> I think then unless I'm the you know a a minor messiah, then I'm going to die. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I decided that I'm going to give up podcasting, um, which isn't going very well. Self-restraint, <laughs> which, given that I've had a Cadbury's cream egg every day this week, isn't going well. Uh, and murder, which is going quite well. So that's okay. You have to set yourself achievable goals. Well, yeah, I do know people who claim to give up smoking every kind of then, <laughs> or every you know January New Year mm. in the kind of uh, other time of year where you give up stuff for a little bit. Uh, did but, you know that Wednesday of Holy Week is called Spy Wednesday? Spy Wednesday? I didn't know that. But apparently, it's because like Judas did like some spying on Jesus at some point, uh, and they're uh, on a Wednesday of Holy Week, and apparently now it's called Spy Wednesday, which is not to be confused with I Spy Wednesday, which is a game you can only play on the Pacific island of Kiribati or from the International Space Station. It's a time zone joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you had to travel all the way to Australia and back again to get the inspiration for that one, really, didn't you? I think it was an episode of QI, actually, as with much most of this podcast. Um, also, that and cracked.com. Like, uh, as, as the Wikipedia rampage that resulted from me discovering this uh, has produced the following information, uh, did you know that uh, St. Joshua is the patron saint of spies and intelligence professionals? No, was he a spy? He was, yeah. He was one okay. of 12 spies sent by Moses to explore the land of Canaan, apparently. Oh, what? Um, but they sainted him. Well, that's weird, because there's not that many Old Testament saints. It's weird. So he is referred to as St. Joshua, patron saint of spies and intelligence professionals, but the Catholic Church has never officially canonized him because of his association with spying. But he was sent by Moses. I know, right? the promised land. Man, Catholics. And, like, all that stuff about, like, abortion and, 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 and like contraception is nothing on the fact that they just really don't like spies he's got his own book in the bible <laughs> if you can't get sainted with your own book in the bible of which there is a limited and set number although slightly more if you are catholic <laughs> then really what Same are you doing <laughs> uh, my protestantism is clearly coming through strong <laughs> this week i'm like luther only more comic um yes you're pinning jokes to the door of the church. Anyway. <laughs> That's such an intellectual joke. I love Is it really? I, th I was worried that I'd got the wrong, like, person relating to, like, early religion. But anyway. No, no, that is definitely Luther. Wow, that, that like, year nine history class <laughs> has finally paid off. <laughs> um, anyway, so, yeah, that those are the two things that I've done this week. There is one other thing um, which I can talk about with the full intention of us cutting, if you like. Uh, <laughs> okay then so i'll leave a big pause and then go into it so the other thing that happened this week was um i had to give a presentation it's like the one piece of actual you know class based work as part of my um my defil for this term and uh 
what we had to do is called analysis of research methods or arm um and you we have to pick a paper from tentatively related to our field of research this is for all like first year dfil students and um we have to present it uh, kind of as if we were journal uh, reviewers for a journal and kind of basically kind of like initially just present the paper and what's involved in it and then spend the majority of the time talking about what's wrong with it and you know concerns and questions about the methodology and stuff um which is you know no no biggie no biggie um you do it every week pretty much uh in fact so much do we do it every week that i used one of the studies that we discussed in the podcast um specifically the one that you may possibly remember me mentioning last week the ritter and preston discussed and religion one where they got people to like rate lemon juice drinks for disgustingness before and after copying out a piece of religious text which i thought was a really cool idea at the time and have thought that it was a very cool idea for a long time and i think it still is a very cool idea turns out not such a cool study when you actually bother to read the whole thing which tells you something about how much preparation I did when I was about to presented say. it in the uh, in the episode. More importantly, though, so there were a, like a bunch of problems with the study in and of itself. What happened though was I I've only ever known about this paper as Ritter's master's thesis because that's how it's usually you usually find it online. If you search for Ritter discussed in religion, it comes up with his uh, unpublished master's thesis. However, it turns out that the study has also been published in a journal of exp- the Journal of Experimental Psychology, which is a pretty high uh, experimental social psychology, which is quite a high-tier social psychology journal. The weird thing is, the study has two experiments in it, experiment one and experiment two, originally. Um, and experiment one is identical in the master's thesis and the, uh, the uh, JESP paper. Experiment two is different but they don't mention the fact that it's different and they kind of present it in exactly the same way. So basically what happens in experiment two is after they've done this, they've, they've, uh, they, they rate the first lemon juice drink as how disgusting it is. Then they read this religious text and then they, these are Christian participants, by the way, and then they uh, rate the second juice. And basically what they find is that if Christian participants read extracts from the Quran or from Richard Dawkins, uh, the God delusion, they rate the second drink as more disgusting. Whereas if they read the Bible in the master's thesis, they rate the second drink as like uh, less disgusting. And then, but what happens is then they, they're given the opportunity to wash their hands with hand wipes. And they find that if, um, if they are given the opportunity to wash their hands, then the whole like disgust change goes away because they're like morally cleansing themselves, which is a really cool yeah. manipulation. What's weird is that in the master's thesis, if Christian participants read the Bible, uh, I'm probably going to get this the wrong way around, but basically like in the master's thesis, uh, they report less disgust. And then when they wash their hands, they re- report more disgust because they're kind yeah. of like washing away their moral cleanliness. And then yeah. in the, uh, published paper exactly the opposite effect they read the bible uh, they feel less disgust and then they wash their hands and they feel even less disgust but he makes no reference makes to the fact that previously he got because exa- that's not reliable results then not- you've got to do it again and see what happens exactly and so like i i was uh, so basically the reason that I discovered this was because I was working on this presentation from the master's thesis, which is the only one I've ever known. But the master's thesis is 30 pages long and asking people in the group to read 30 pages is kind of a bit of a stretch. Uh-huh. So I thought I'd see if there was a shorter published one. And the published one is only six pages long. And then in going through it, I was reading the experiment two in the published one. I was like, this seems remarkably unfamiliar. And I felt betrayed by Ritter. I really did because I was like, I really like that study. And yeah, it was just this kind of like existential crisis of of psychological and scientific badness. Not a fan. Yeah, not a. Well, we'll have to call him out and say, Ritter, come on the show and tell us what what is you know the real the real answer, (laughs) the true and real answer. Because I bet he's done it again. If you know, if you got those two contradictory results, you'd be thinking, I've got to do it again, find out what happens. Mm, You would hope anyway. Or the second time around, it's like, this confirms my theory. Let's stick with this one as the experiment that I am going to use in my results forever. 
Well, yeah. And th- I'm not th- this is going to turn this show into like psychological Jerry Springer, where it's like, did you uh, fabricate your results? And then we'll get into a fight with him on the internet. We could have the fMRI test special. <laughs> that would increase the production values of Jerry Springer no end if they actually had to put them into a scanner. And it would make it much more difficult to actually have a fight with someone. Yes, not that that's true. ever seen Jerry Springer. Anyway. No. Um, so, shall, shall, shall we move on to talking about some psychology? Let's do that. And, and hopefully, hang on, we'll leave another, another big gap. There you go. There's your there's your mark for where to cut. You do know that that doesn't show up that differently in the waveform. Okay. I'm not, I can't read the matrix, right? <laughs> Maybe this will. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a much kind of squarer wave sound. <laughs> I am making stuff up. I'm not a physicist or a musician. It's right. Only, what you just heard there is the entirety of the uh, uh, Psychomedia podcast soundboard. As we were saying before the show, yeah. It's whatever noisy things we have within arm's reach, which this oh, week yeah. is a penny whistle and a, and a harmonica. I guess mine equivalent is my keyboard, which I can clack like an angry tray. <laughs> I've got some biscuits nearby. I could try crunching them. You could Really nothing else. You could eat them noisily. Yeah, exactly. Well, is there any other way? <laughs> So, video games, psychology, let's do the basics. And the basics, unsurprisingly, involve some straightforward neuroscience. Remember neuroscience? (laughs) So, uh, yes. Uh, The uh, study that I'm going to tell you about is Kuhn et al. 2011. Uh, The study begins with the line... That's just fun to say. It is, isn't it? German words. Anything with an umlaut in is fun. It is Uh, true. Heavy metal has demonstrate this principle beyond all uh, shadow of doubt. Mütterhood. Mütterhood. Or Mütterhood. It is true. Um, yeah. Or Steel Panther. I think Steel Panther, like, have a uh, an umlaut over, like, a, a, a consonant. Do Queensryche have one over the Y? Possibly. <laughs> okay, we're getting a little I'll, I'll find out while you do the psychology. Okay, yeah. The study begins with the line, Video game playing is a frequent recreational activity. Well, <laughs> no Cumberbatch, Sherlock. And <laughs> is there any better context to start talking about video games than as the frequent recreational activity? Actually, the context of this study is not about their frequency. It is that neurotransmitters related to the playing of video games have been previously well documented. And perhaps unsurprisingly to any of us who remember it on neuroscience, it's dopamine in the ventral striatum. Now, as usual, you can kind of uh, boil this down into something a lot more simple that might be a mistake, but we're not really going to find out whether it's a mistake to just say it's all about dopamine uh, until we've chosen all the proper conversation options and loaded up the uh, sequel game and plugged in our save game to that and saw what the consequences of our action are on the galaxy. Uh, And because, you know, the ventral striatum is often studied in rodents, you know, we'll end up with something a bit like mass ferret. Have you seen mass ferret? The, uh, I haven't seen Mass Ferret, but I must now. The Photoshop. Just search Mass Ferret. I'll put it in the show notes for, you know, the audience. But Searching it now. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, so yeah, the ventral striatum is this primal bit of the brain that's involved in emotion. It outputs to prefrontal areas, the amygdala. <laughs> You've just seen it. I just saw it, and I have seen it before, and it's amazing. <laughs> and, you know, there's various other dopamine pathways, and they all impact motivation and reward. Um, and... So we're pretty sure that video games are not merely rewarding in kind of the behavioural sense. You know, we ask them, oh, do you have fun playing video games? And they're like, yes, and that's psychology. But uh, that they fall into the same group as food, sex, music, drugs. I mean, sex and drugs, and of course, our buddy, the sausage roll. Uh, Incidentally, how do you make a sausage roll? Uh, Do you get, hang on, which do you want me to do? Do you want me to do the obvious answer or the pedantic answer? Um... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> Joke derailed. Well, what I think you probably do is you uh, get some sausage meat and you uh, you make it into like a cylinder and then you put some um, uh, pastry around it and then you cook it for about 30 minutes and then you push it down a hill. <laughs> that was one of my favourite jokes as uh, a uh, child. Um, well, specifically, the how do you make a Swiss roll? Push it down a hill. Uh, incidentally, in Switzerland, that is likely to get you done for murder. Have you seen their hills? They're massive. <laughs> They are. Traditionally, I think they they have a special. They have there's like a word in Swiss for it, isn't it? It's like montagne or ma, mount, mountain or something. Uh, that would be much better if they spoke 
any like language oh actually does french call them mountains okay i take that back i don't know enough about like all of the swiss languages i can say in germany it's not it's bergen so you know yeah germans have good names for for mountains like anything that ends in berg is great bergen like the hornberg is the hornberg is that a thing yeah the no. horn uh, is it might be something in lord of the rings isn't it oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> there probably is a hornberg in germany as well I was desperately because there's there's something there's a mountain named an upside down mountain in Terry Pratchett called the Wirrenberg, and I was desperately trying not to say that. Right. Uh, Google informs me that Hornberg is a town in the Orton Outkreis in Vester, Vet, not Western, Western Baden-Württemberg in Germany in the awesome. Black Forest. So yeah, it looks kind of mountainous. You can, look, you know, that's not anything to do with psychology. But yeah, so, correct. Dopamine, yeah. In healthy subjects, the activation of dopamine in the ventral striatum, slow-level bit often associated with the reward, actually correlates with video game performance. And that really intrigued me, because I think of myself, uh, as we were talking about before the show, as an okay video game player. I like to have fun, I get annoyed when things stop being fun in games. Uh, so I wonder what my dopamine levels are like. Um, obviously, I'm not really going to get the chance to look at it anytime soon. Mm. Further to this, cognitively, uh, video games have been shown to improve attentional visual skills um, and uh, probabilistic reasoning. But increased ventral striatal dopamine, if it goes over the top, is known to lead to compulsive behaviour like uh, problem gambling or hypersexuality. Hmm. So what Kuhn and the team wanted to look at, and it's a massive team because obviously it involves like looking at brain chemicals and fMRI and some other stuff... Um, they wanted to look at high-level gamers to see if they had uh, structural differences that might come from an excess of dopamine in this area, which would suggest it's moving from being a rewarding, fun activity to being a genuine addiction in the chemical oh. sense. So what they did was, as well as using fMRI to look at the patterns of activation, they used a complex mathematical technique called voxel-based morphometry to compare the structure of gamers' brains. Now, fortunately for you, the audience... Uh, who've just heard that confusing phrase. I'm well-versed in voxel-based morphometry because... Nice. <laughs> <laughs> because my dad had made me a T-shirt with a diagram of it on. Um, and indeed, he fortunately Damn. picked out the right <laughs> image of... Uh, he searched, you know, like, brain scan on it, and uh, he clicked on one of the images to get a good high-res image to put on a T-shirt. And uh, there were three images side-by-side side of voxel-based morphometry. One of them was of normal brain development, and the other two were of the destruction of the brain by Alzheimer's and AIDS, respectively. <laughs> which is very much a Russian roulette situation, and he picked the right one. Oh, nice. <laughs> anyway, what voxel-based morphometry does is it maps brains onto some sort of average brain so that you can compare structural changes in brain areas across a range of brains. Because like the rest of the body, uh, even though we're mostly similar, we're slightly different. Um, so you have to do that with the brain as well. Now, the participants are quite impressive. They managed to assemble over 150 14-year-olds, more female than male, tested them on wow. game frequency and gambling. Now, the girls proved to make up about a third of the frequent gamer group. Impressive. But in terms of frequency, it would seem quite moderate to me. Players play, Participants played on average 1.5 hours during regular weekdays and 2.3 hours on days during the weekend, in total 12.1 hours per week. Actually, now I look at that, that's not, that is quite a lot. I yeah, think when I, I think so. When I read that, I was playing a lot more video games. How mm. times have changed. <laughs> now, the left ventral striatum... Was Although for 14-year-olds. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It, mm, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Probably not worth investigating further. The left no. ventral striatum was found to have more grey matter in the frequent gamers mm -hmm. and also greater activation, which correlated with faster decision-making in probability tasks. Perhaps because they used to... Uh, just as Ben will attest, clicking and hammering the keys in the manner of an angry train, which unfortunately there isn't a literal video game of yet, you know, like a much more boring version of Crazy Taxi. Because, <laughs> you know, you don't really if have you to play, if you, uh, if you, There's actually a study that uses uh, voxel-based morphometry with Crazy Taxi. You find out that uh, like the, the anterior hippocampuses of people who play Crazy Taxi are slightly enlarged. That's a really nerdy psychology yep, joke. But... I know. I do approve of it, but I can't really give it the seal of approval of laughter because I feel that would exclude the people in our audience who don't know that there was a study of real taxi drivers that showed an increased anterior hippocampus, although at the expense and of the posterior. And used voxel-based morphometry, I hasten to add. Ah, well, yeah. This is a well-researched joke, if not an objectively funny one. 
So yes, uh, they also s explain that these differences seem to precede gaming, that one's capacity to be good at video games is likely genetic, and that one has a striatum that is designed for video games, which might explain why me and my father could take it in turns playing uh, Half-Life. <laughs> but yeah, the concerns of the changes due to playing video games is more functional. Uh, so structurally, that's kind of set, but functionally, it might change that because the gamers, just like pathological gamblers, show increased dopamine activation in response to loss. And we can make sense of that kind of cognitively. Uh, you know, if you lose a video game, especially when you're doing well and then you lose, uh, you feel that drive to go back when you're defeated. And I do wonder uh, if it comes out in more obscure cases not just video games but if we put out like a, an episode that we think is substandard whatever standard is and we know it <laughs> do does the dopamine system go oh we've got to go out we've got to go out there and do a good episode <laughs> that is funny and interesting and everything uh i don't know but i, I have a feeling that. that i may well be addicted to podcasting <laughs> and I, mean, I don't <laughs> I don't know that. I do know that there are over, there are about fifty bands that use umlauts in their names. Uh, <laughs> Is there Molly Crew has two, that? so it's Mertley Crew. Uh, in fact, uh, Spinal Tap um, has it over the N, which is pretty amazing. Uh, there was one other. There's um, the semi-fictional band Death Clock from the cartoon Metal Metal Metalocalypse. <laughs> it's hard to say. Really hard to say. Has one over the E and then the, the crossed out zero, the crossed out O, which is pretty good. There's one called Green Jelly, which has it over the Y. That's pretty good. There's one called Dalek, or sorry, Dalek. <laughs> and indeed, yes, Queensreich does have it over the Y. Hey, who knew that I'd actually know that? Listen like, oh. to two cover versions by them. <laughs> There's a Canadian thrash metal van band called Voivod. Uh, Uses several umlauts in the title of their albums, RAR, which <laughs> is, is spelt R, capital R, lowercase r, lowercase r, O umlaut, O umlaut, O umlaut, A A A R R R, which is amazing. Okay, I'm writing that down so I can put the album artwork in the uh, show notes. Um, so, yeah, the conclusions of that study video games are structurally oh, and functionally different in their striatum, and they make quicker decisions in a way facilitated by that. So, there we go. Study complete. Yes. Ding. Um, cool. Well, that's that's really cool. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I don't have any more information about umlauts. Uh, Do you have maybe some psychology? Oh yeah, sure. Why not? Um, <laughs> so yeah, my uh, my. Last week, I, I went off on one a little bit about a game called Dear... Well, in quotes, game called Dear Esther. Uh, oh, hey, Ben, I just realised what I did last week. Oh, did you play Dear Esther? Well, I played it at your house. Oh, yeah, you did. You came on the to visit. You totally should have mentioned the... the fact that we were like, the day after the podcast, we were in the same building. <laughs> we're so good at this. <laughs> yeah, we. I went to your house and I, I brought around some of our listeners. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was our... There was official psychology meet and greet, and I can't remember if we made that joke last week or not. I think we did, but it was, yeah, two, two, the two podcasters and three of our audience members. I didn't sign anything of hers. That's true. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was me, you, my brother, his girlfriend, your girlfriend, uh, you know, and... Um, so yeah, PsychomediaCon 2012. <laughs> we had we had uh, Indian takeaway and and sat around. I ate quails. Satting around stuff. It was yeah, like curried quail. Really cool. It was really nice. Um, and but yes, I did play a bit of uh, Dear Esther, only a bit uh, to try out your 3D. amazing 3D screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. I um, actually I there's a, a game currently in uh, open beta called um, Tribes Ascend which is uh, a sequel to a bunch of games in the Tribe series. And basically they are, uh, they're a bit like sort of Quake-style deathmatch games based around jetpacks and skiing. So wow. they're, they're kind of really hardcore PC-type games because they have like momentum and projectiles rather than hitscan stuff, really nerdy stuff here. Um, but yeah, you like, you jetpack up in the air and then you can like engage electro skis when you're going down hills, which oh. causes you to gain momentum to uh, almost unlimited degree so you go really really fast and you're flying around and like zapping people and playing this with 3d glasses on was um awesome basically um it was yeah crazy fun 
Anyway, Super. psychology. Yeah. So last week I went off on one about Dear Esther and it's, I've been kind of thinking uh, generally about the whole concept of story in games because this is what I think of as opposed to, you know, my thesis or stuff like that. Um, and like uh, what what it is about sto- story in games that means that it's so important to some people and so important in some games. And, you know, a lot of the most successful games that have come out recently have been like really heavily story based. Skyrim being an example, although you could argue that the story in that is a little bit lax. Um, Old Republic is obviously a good example where it's taken like World of Warcraft and just slapped a big, like, steaming pile of story all over it, and that's worked yeah. really well. Um, there's also one which I've been playing a lot of recently called Kingdoms of Amalur, which is uh, <laughs> a game made by Kurt Schilling, the ex professional baseball uh, star. Uh, and his game <laughs> the studio. There. The ex-professional baseball. <laughs> yeah, and his and his game studio and features um, uh, the world design and writing is by the novelist R. A. Salvatore, who's like a uh, like a famous fantasy. He novel. killed Chewbacca. He did that's his most famous thing well, for no, killing Chewbacca. Did. Technically, Randy Stradley had the idea yeah, yeah. to kill. Okay, it was approved by the editors, and then R.A. Salvador had the bad luck of having to actually write the novel. But yeah, he's he's a good writer. Um, um, yeah, and uh, so it's it's like it's you know, story is clearly important to games like this, particularly the kind of RPG crowd, um, where engaging with the storyline is massively important to the success of the game. Um, but then again, you've got like many of the biggest selling games recently just completely abandoned story or have stories that are completely abandonable so your call of duties and your battlefields they nominally have story driven campaigns but the reason that they sell is basically because of the multiplayer and that's what people continue to play i mean um call of duty black ops is like the best selling game of all time in the uk and us and people still play it for its multiplayer um and then there's like things like league of legends which has got has recently registered 32 million registered users uh, and has no story whatsoever. So I wonder how many countries that is bigger than the population. Oh, a lot. I mean, that's, that's more than world. That's so much more than world of Warcraft. Admittedly, the problem with that is it's a free to play game. So it'll have loads of registered users and not many like active players, but still a lot of people, a lot of people, um, all that's very gamey and not very psychology. Um, so uh, what I was wondering about is because the, the kind of the unique selling point of games as a medium is the fact that they're interactive, which should, you would think, start, like increase the amount of immersion to the player and particularly if they're like able to identify with characters and all this sort of thing, um, which surprisingly enough has actually been looked at in a study, which is not particularly common for video game stuff. It's a study called Death with a Story. How Story Impacts Emotional, Motivational, and Physiological Responses to First-Person Shooter Video Games by Schneider et al. 2004. Already it sounds amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's a really cool concept. Uh, I don't know why it's called Death with a Story, because that bears little or no relation to anything about the study, except the story part. But, it, I mean, it's a, really ver- it's a really simple design. They got a bunch of participants to play one of four games. All of them were f- first-person shooters, Two of them were story-driven, and two of them weren't. The uh, non-story-driven games were Quake 2 and Doom 2, and the story-driven games were Half-Life and Outlaws. Um, oh. you, ever, you, you, you played Outlaws, right? I played the demo. Yeah, me too. And the music. Oh, I have so it. Good. I downloaded it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's like Morricone, but somehow, because it happened at that point in my childhood, has just a much greater emotional impact. Oh, I am putting that link in the show notes to... Sorry, you carry on. <laughs> I love Outlaws. So, Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it was a really good demo. I got that at the same time as the uh, Jedi Knight demo. Oh, uh, the Jedi Knight one or the Mistress of the Sith one? Because I tell you what, I played the Mistress of the Sith one to death. Both, in fact. I got them in a big sort of LucasArts bundle and just played them all. And it was like the first actual proper computer games that I ever played. And, oh my god, they were amazing. Anyway, um... So, yeah, they got participants who were gamers, so on a, a video game course at Indiana University. Uh, and they each played the game, their respective game, for eight minutes and then answered a bunch of questions. And they also had their um, galvanic skin response measured uh, while they were playing, which I think we've talked about in the, in the podcast before. 
Um, yep. Basically, as predicted, they found that participants in the story-driven games condition reported more identification with their character, uh, more uh, a greater feeling of presence in the game, like they were themselves present in the game. Uh, are they more positive emotional responses? Uh, they liked the characters and the game more. Um, there was no difference in self-reported arousal, but the galvanic skin response so showed that people were more physiologically aroused in the story-driven games and that the arousal lasted longer. So what happened in the, in the Quake and the Doom players was that they had like high arousal to begin with and then it dropped off really rapidly. Whereas the, uh, the Half-Life and the Outlaws players had even higher arousal to begin with and then it kind of maintained itself much better over the, the eight minutes. Which is really interesting and it's kind of nice and neat. I mean, unfortunately the study is really fluffy. Like, it's, there's a lot of potential confounds. You know, primarily, galvanic skin response is an awful measure because physiological arousal is an awful measure. Because, you know, GSI will show an increase if you play a more engaging game, but it'll also show an increase if the game, like, induces anger, irritation, happiness, despair, sexual stimulation, or if you just electrically shock people while they're playing the game, you'll get more GSI. Um, Can I insert an important note to our listeners here? Which is? If you get sexual arousal whilst playing Doom 2, <laughs> see a doctor. This is true. But basically, it's like, yeah, GSI is like the low-rent prostitute of dependent variables in that it will demonstrate arousal for pretty much anyone. Yeah, I, yeah. I was quite good. Good summary. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Psychologically correct. <laughs> uh, in addition to which, so you could argue that the fact that the players only played the game for eight minutes wasn't necessarily particularly good. You know, a lot of times, although the results do kind of undermine this criticism, like a lot of times story-driven games really require you a, a, a much greater time investment in terms of a play session. You know, you don't just drop in for 10 minutes of Knights of the Old Republic. You kind of have to kind of knuckle down and get in, get into the story, get involved. Yeah. Um, also, they didn't control for the quality of the games beyond the story, which admittedly would have been quite difficult to do. But so I, I tried to do this. I, I went on Metacritic, which is like a, a, a Metacritic. It kind of amalgamates uh, review scores. Um, and so Doom 2 uh, scored 77 out of 100. Quake 2 scored 88. Half-Life, 96. Half-Life is one of yes. the best games of all time. Well, it is. So, <laughs> Well, yeah. And Outlaws doesn't have a meta score because no one played it. Except <laughs> apparently John Romero, who, uh, for whom it's his favorite game. Oh, really? Apparently. Um, and so I was reading this and then I, I kind of got thinking, hang on, when did... When did Outlaws come out? 2004 is pretty recent. Outlaws came out seven years before the study. Um, and so then I was like, why did they use these games? Um, if they were doing it in 2004, maybe they should have used more up-to-date ones. They probably could have found something better than Outlaws, perhaps. Or maybe they wanted it because it was unplayed. I don't know. But I looked at what other games were released in 2004, and... There was Unreal Tournament 2004, which is the perfect example of a really good game with no story. Oh, um, yeah. There's another one called Painkiller, which is another like cult classic, which has very little story. A little bit violent, probably a bit difficult to get ethics for it. Um, <laughs> Doom 3 came out, which has as much story as Doom 2. Um, Halo 2, maybe, that was, that was out in 2004. It was a really good year for driven. games. 2004 um and that's pretty heavy story heavy and then there was this this other one um half-life 2 <laughs> which is pretty much the only game to score as high as half-life on metacritic and is yeah and possibly has more story more like yeah i think so and is a, i feel like this is a kind of a common problem with these studies of video games is that games advance so much in so many at least in terms of their kind of immersion with the the graphics and stuff like that yeah. although things have kind of you could argue that things have plateaued a little bit now, kind of. Um, certainly after playing Dear Esther, I can't see things getting much better than that anytime soon. Um, They've kind of gone sideways. Yeah. Haven't they? Mm. If you were to play Dear Esther with the 3D glasses on a Kinect. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's the only thing I can think of. Practically virtual reality. But anyway, so like, I think, I mean, I can sort of understand maybe for like monetary reasons why they don't use like up to the minute stuff 
Um, but if you're interested enough in video games to be studying them psychologically, I kind of feel like you should try and do it like as as currently as as current generation as possible in the stimuli you use. Uh, but anyway, that's a minor quibble. Um, and Who thought you'd ever be able to make that complaint about a psychological study? Yeah, that's no, it's brilliant. great. This is why it's awesome doing this, an episode on video games, which like half the people in our audience will just completely not like. But anyway, we get to do it. Um, and it kind of got me wondering, this study, about whether... Which it kind of unrelated to the actual findings, but I was just sort of musing. Maybe, maybe the fact that there seems to be kind of a distinction between successful story-driven games and successful non-story-driven games and the non-story-driven ones have multiplayer and are kind of multiplayer focused and this is stating the bleeding obvious to anyone who plays video games but it's from a psychological perspective maybe if if what you require for a game to be successful is immersion and kind of engagement with it maybe the way for a single player game to achieve that is through um you know a relatable storyline and characters Whereas the way for a multiplayer game, you don't need that because you have social interaction in it already. So you're kind of you don't need to engage with your character because your character is you essentially, yeah. and you have competitive aspects and all this social stuff, um, which perhaps provides the sense of immersion. And there are probably papers uh, on that out there, but I didn't look for them. <laughs> sure. Well, it's sort of related to what I'll talk about next a bit. Yeah. Well, why don't you transition seamlessly into that? Okay, I will. So, yes, this paper is by Przybylski, which I believe you had a good way of remembering. Przybylski, yeah, it kind of depends on how you say it, but Przybylski sounds like 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 submitting your 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 like monthly monetary payments in a Russian accent, <laughs> which was funnier when I said it the first time. Yeah, that's the trouble with bringing back jokes from the pre-show. It's raising them from the dead. They're yeah. slower, more shambling. Respawn. And less funny. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that joke <laughs> didn't have a kind of invincibility grace period. Anyway, yeah, I'm going to call it player one because uh, that uh, vowel quotient is really too low for this time of day. Uh, lunchtime. You've got to have vowels <laughs> with your lunch. Five a day. A Six, vowel a day keeps the vowels. linguist away or something. I don't know. Yeah. Probably keeps the classicist away. Certainly the Welsh. <laughs> He's interested, was interested, is interested in motivation of a different sort to what I talked about. Um, so more on the personality and cognitive side, so more related to what Ben's been talking about. He works at the University of uh, Essex, but don't hold that against him. Uh, ben, you've oh. done something at the University of Essex Psychological Department, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. No, so Essex is my hometown. Um, well, home county. Uh, That's a confusing phrase, given there's a place called the home counties. Indeed. It's, it's the county where my home is. Um, <laughs> I did do uh, I did like my first my first bit of psychology what I ever did was um uh did like work experience type stuff there or shadowing before I came uh, before I applied to university and it was really awesome really good department really nice department everyone wandered like the person who was I was shadowing just wandered around the whole place in bare feet the whole time and just there were like sofas and things everywhere it was really nice yeah so you may well have seen or you know this person at a distance was there entirely- anyone there who was suspiciously playing too many video games? <laughs> Not that I noticed. I wasn't really in that kind of air department. I was in kind of linguistic stuff, and they were doing stuff which I now know to be categorical perception of language, but at the time it was just like pretty pictures in a circle. <laughs> oh, innocent times. But uh, yeah, now I'm just thinking I'd quite like to watch the show The Only Way is the University of Essex, because it has really good research. It does have really good research, particularly in economics and like business studies, I think. Um, also, my dad works there. Uh, yeah, so you're kind of biased towards it, I guess. Not as a lecturer. Uh, and they have, oh, can I tell my, um, the best University of Essex story? Yeah, go ahead. Why not? So, so um, uh, in Terry Pratchett books, uh, there is, and in and, and other media as well, I suppose, I guess, there is the concept of the Grim Reaper, who is like uh, the skeletal... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Like skeletal embodiment of death who usher, usher, ushers souls into the afterlife. Again, difficult to say. But in, so specifically in Terry Pratchett books, at one point, uh, death sort of fragments his personality and you get lots and lots of deaths because, you know, death of death of humans obviously manifests as like a, a skeletal person. But what about like death of rats? And so there is a character in Terry Pratchett books called the death of rats, who is a tiny skeletal rat who goes, squeak. Uh, and wields a tiny scythe and rides a crow 
Um, and my dad and me are both big fans of Terry Pratchett. And it turns out that uh, logically, so a, a little uh, a death of rats ought to be like a, a black clad skeletal rat. But obviously crows are already black. So you would have to be like a, a like death of crows would have to be white. And there is a crow that lives at Essex University, probably maybe still lives at Essex University, uh, who we refer to as the death of crows because he is like pale gray bordering on white with kind of black marks around his face. And all he like all the other crows like stay away from him because he looks so outlandish and sinister. And uh, he just sort of struts around uh, stalks around the university looking 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 deathly and is awesome so, and he was there for like at least over the course of like five years there were repeated sightings of him so you took a sinister corvid intelligence and then <laughs> made it creepier looking that's the most terrifying thing <laughs> that's pretty awesome yeah, so that's... yes uh Puzzabelsky, player one um <laughs> was uh, very much, had very much taken against the studies in the line of Kuhn and all these people who were like, uh, make the brain go like a gambler. Um, I don't know why I'm talking like that. Um, my tongue wanted to intercede again. <laughs> remember the previous episode. But, you know, he was saying that, okay, there's, co- you know, people have said, oh, there's cognitive improvements, but also they get addicted. And Pizabilski was like, but there's other things that video games do that is positive. For example, the realm of self-esteem. Now, it's already known in self-esteem that having not too big a gap between the ideal self and the actual self is positive to the level of elation and joy. You think about yourself and you think about the way you'd like to be and you think, yes, that gap is small. I can reach that. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, we all want to be who we want to be. And like if we get close, very simple. Now, Puzzabilski was interested in a theory that suggested that if you have an experience that makes the gap feel less than it may be actually is makes you feel independent or competent in experiences of which i've certainly heard you know i've i've got some acquaintance with them in theory um it'll make you feel good in the same way hmm. he had a feeling that this might be possible in video games possibly after a session of civilization 2 where he conquered the whole world launched a successful mission to alpha centauri because nothing says competent like superpower and space <laughs> um, actually this idea and that it might come out in video games and the internet has been around in the literature since 1994 the year in video games that uh, Jazz Jack Rabbit, i.e. Sonic the Hedgehog with big guns, came out. <laughs> and playing as a green mercenary space rabbit certainly is a good indicator of the freedom available in virtual environments. <laughs> Previously, research by Barg and his colleagues has lent support to this line of thought. Suggesting is that John Barge? Uh, I don't know. Because it's, if it's spelt B-A-R-G-H, then it's pronounced Barge. Okay, yes. John Barge. John Barge, I believe it is then, because uh, that's quite an unusual surname. Uh, suggests that virtual environments can provide wide-ranging forms of interaction through which alternative aspects of the self can find expression. And Olson, in 2010, highlighted the fact that games provide children with opportunities to experiment with different identities. Children can choose whether to play as males, or in my case, females, take on (laughs) alternative social roles, including leadership and teaching roles. Video games provide a gamut of idealised attributes embodied by ready-made idealised roles, e.g. a protector of kingdoms in World of Warcraft, a caring parent in The Sims, or a tough gangster in Grand Theft Auto in highly immersive narratives. That hmm. previous bit from research by Barg and his colleagues is a quotation, in fact. Hmm. Uh, quite Good line. Written, isn't it? Hmm. So what they looked at was the actual self and the ideal self, but then also this intermediary concept, the game self, and hmm. how much they overlapped. So they had some participants. Not to be confused with the game's elf, who is uh, one of Santa's helpers who brings Xbox controllers to all the good little girls and boys. Bad joke. Carry on. (laughs) They had players play some pretty straightforward games, uh, Bookworm, Peggle and Bejeweled. Not ones in which you'd say there was a very highly formed game self like the playing of Gordon Freeman in Half-Life. True facts. True facts. And they checked about the game self afterwards and they compared affect as well as Big Five personality. But we'll forgive them that. Um, (laughs) They found the more a game allowed the self to overlap with the ideal self, the better a person felt afterwards. So, no wonder me and Ben have spent so much time harping on about how much fun we've had playing The Old Republic. Mm-hmm. But what it does confuse me is that this is even possible in puzzle games. I know the jewels in Bejeweled are really well characterised, <laughs> but even so, it's quite surprising. Anyway, they followed up with a wider and more understandable study. They recruited online from a games community. The most popular games were social games, i.e. team games like Team Fortress 2 or MMOs like World of Warcraft. Hmm. And they tested these self-selected sort of um, players for a lot of things. Uh, Immersion in the game, which was assessed with the 
nine-item present subscale of the player experience of need satisfaction scale that Pozabilski uh, wrote himself. Isn't that awesome? To write your own scale for how immersed someone is in a video game for your psychological <laughs> research. Um, cool. Responses no, to cool. items on the scale include, for example, when moving through whatever game, I feel like I am actually there. Um, that's one of the example things. So clearly testing the immersion. And what this probably was the same scale as was used in the Schneider study, by the way. Oh, awesome. Hey, like linked research. How cool. <laughs> um, and this yeah, backed up the first study, finding that game self and the ideal self, or as apparently how as I've typed it, the ideal deal self, <laughs> um, because I'm Ned Flanders, uh, self overlap predicted both the motivation to play a particular game and the post game affect. Now, players who felt a wide gap between their actual self and their ideal self, i.e. suffering lower self-esteem, were more motivated to play these games. So, to put it in terms that the participants might understand, the less like the heavy you feel, the better you feel after playing Team Fortress if you want to be a guy with a minigun and fists. <laughs> That's a really succinct way of putting it. I'm and impressed. it is a better route to self-esteem than actually trying to use a minigun and mow down people of different team colours than you. Obvs. Because that's racist. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, a final, <laughs> and murderous, but yeah. <laughs> a final quotation illustrates uh, maybe some of the uh, distance that uh, Pesabilski has from the real world, though, with uh, this illuminating quotation. Our findings indicate that virtual environments, like close relationships, may be motivating... Oh, that's a bad start. <laughs> Maybe motivating to the degree that they allow individuals to experience ideal aspects of themselves. And I guess you could broaden this to cover anything. The that, common thing that is... is a brilliant, brilliant insight. Because that explains why gamers don't have girlfriends. <laughs> because they don't need them for self-esteem. Yes. We've it, well, like, it. It, it's, it's cliched and stereotyped. But it may, like, I, I, I want to study that right now. Yeah, well, you can. That makes sense. Yes. And why, you know, there's often like a, um, you know, when it's, it's again, a common trope. But if, you know, the gamer gets a girlfriend and then there is the tension between spending time uh, with the game and with the girlfriend. And it's kind of like, yeah, one, maybe provision of self-esteem is the, is the basis for it. And that's kind of cool. Cool so, idea. Yes. There you go. Nice one, player one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah doesn't know i wonder what happens with dating sims well it's quite difficult to date a sim um it depends on whether you're a sim yourself no, this is true if it is it's you surprisingly speak language. E equal it's what is it uh talk to 30 uh compliment to 60 oh, to 100 kiss. Sake, tim <laughs> <laughs> you creepy creepy man you you know um apparently I'm talking about uh, how to succeed at the sims that's not creepy i'm not suggesting it's applicable to real life it is creepy when you judge succeeding at The Sims as d like successful relationships. Uh, I found that way too creepy. Did you see the the new uh, Sims expansion with Katy Perry in it? Uh, no, I didn't, but I'm sure okay, you can tell a, me about it. There's a new expansion to The Sims with Katy Perry in it, which I saw on uh, Yog Trailers, which is a YouTube channel where people talk over trailers and generally improve them. Um, uh, they were particularly annoyed by the fact that... Uh, Katy Perry is now in The Sims and doesn't look very much like Katy Perry. Um, but she was singing her songs in English, not Simlish. Oh, bad, bad things. Controversial. Bad. Anyhow. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's what I was going to say. Is That's all I have to say about Przybylski, um, except maybe some advice to our listeners. If you're feeling like you're not quite the person you could be, play some video games and that hmm. will help. It will, genuinely. And potentially, if uh, you know you or your significant other is playing video games and you don't feel like you're getting enough time, um, try and make them feel more awesome, I guess. Like, try and boost their self-esteem more than the video game. I don't yeah. know. Something interesting. Like that. Anyway, interesting. I'm pondering on that one. Um, cool inter interaction of psychology and gaming which we can now shut up about for a while yeah having uh, covered almost everything that there is to cover about it possibly who knows <laughs> well there isn't much that has been covered about it and um yeah yeah okay 
anything we need to say before we say goodbye oh yeah if you want to contact us yeah i was gonna say we haven't done this for a while but you should totally contact us yeah we'll contact at team psychomedia on twitter or at tetrarch angel but team psychomedia is like our official one yeah you can email psychomediapodcast at gmail.com and we have had a couple in there we do check it about two monthly um <laughs> and i mean you could try and find us on facebook no guarantees we'll add you um no. Well, Tim probably will. But. Oh, yeah. yeah. Possibly. <laughs> I may not. Uh, but yeah, no, Twitter and stuff. It's good. It's all, it's all good. Uh, and uh, yeah, go to psychomedia.wordpress.com for fun pictures and show notes where you can comment on it and get links to subscription, Twitter, etc. Uh, otherwise, I think it's only time to say game over. <laughs> you just played some video games. Which of these three conversational options will you pick? A. Um, go and create your own video game from scratch that will use neurochemistry and self-actualization to heal the whole world. No, B. Just play some more video games. Or C. Kill everyone. I gave up murder for Lent. It's going to have to be B. Your rewards are 10 neutral points. <laughs> Minus 30 credits to Steam. Also, you received a package. The package contains five podcasts. These are a blue level item that will sell to a vendor for one credit each. Uh, Maybe I'll just reverse engineer them. Use them to make a better podcast. You have received audio components. Would you like to use audio components in podcasts crafting skill <laughs> yeah yeah would I'll you do like that. to I'll send and... your companion timothy swan <laughs> to craft them into a podcast he gets plus five to editing because he actually knows how to do it <laughs> okay why no, am i stop using... stop stop really stop it just make do you me want, want to quit <laughs> yes log off log off psychomedia <laughs>